Welcome to In This Direction. Moments in your life can completely alter your direction forward. Any experience has the potential to change your direction in life. And in this direction, there's always a story. My name is Quinn. I am your host. And on today's show, I've got veteran publicist and co-founder of Clarion Call Media, Mr. Chris Vineyard. For those who have uh, been keeping up on with the show on uh, social media, you know this episode was due to drop last week, but I was incredibly drained and delayed the release to this week. And uh, oddly enough, what struck me as I finalized this episode for release was how relevant it was or is to where I am right now in life. Suffice to say, listening back to this conversation with Chris from late last year, gave me the much-needed reminder to find that space, that time for myself outside of work. Uh, Because lately, especially throughout this pandemic and and working from home every single day, the nonstop screen time and the connectivity uh, into work, into this digital existence has really left me feeling rather disconnected from myself in in many ways. And uh, I'm sure many of you feel the same way or can relate to that. But anyways, I digress. So, so much like everyone you've heard from so far on this show, I first got connected with Vineyard uh, through my old music site when he was working at the venerable PR agency, Big Hassle. He and I talked about everything from running Smashing Pumpkins message boards to the inspiration for co-founding his own music PR firm, Clarion Call Media. Over the years, Chris has worked with and represented artists, events, and organizations from all different walks uh, of life and industry, uh, everything from Bonnaroo to Robert Plant, Kings of Leon, American Football, Major League Baseball, Third Man Records, uh, and so many others. Here is my conversation with Mr. Chris Vineyard. I appreciate you doing this because uh, I talked to Caroline last week and uh, don't know how you do it. You know, between like, she told me, did you just get a new, was it a new dog or something? Was it? We did. And uh, yeah, I don't know if that was the right idea, but it's going okay. Because <laughs> I, f- I feel like, uh, like, I'm not sure how you juggle it all between kids, the dogs, Clarion, so much going on. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the weird thing. Like, um, you know, you just have to make the time and then you have no- time for nothing else. Basically, you know, even with one child, I was just like, how did I not? write a novel and start, you know, three new businesses every other month. Um, like what was I doing? And, uh, some of it was, I feel like not managing the time that I, um, spent working very well, you know, not like focusing enough and just getting things done, you know, quickly. Um, and then other parts of it were, you know, just like, Oh yeah. Like I used to be able to, you know, keep up with a, you know, whole season of multiple different TV shows and like read a book and, um, you know, go explore some other, you know, area of interest and, or hang out with friends a bunch, but, uh, none of that happens anymore. And I've, I've thought about like writing down my daily just to be like, okay, this is like my minute by minute, (laughs) you know? maybe as a form of like uh, preventative uh, or like birth control, like for anybody else. Um, but I don't have time for that either. So, well, I want to, so I've been starting these, take it all the way back. What was your first memory uh, of music or like the first time you remember really connecting with music? I don't know if it's a memory so much. That's act- an actual like true thing that's in my, I mean, I'm sure we have a lot of things locked away between our synapses that we just can't access in any real way, unless we, you know, had some kind of like random thing happen in our brain. So a lot of my early childhood memories are just, I get the feeling pictures that I've seen of myself as a kid, but I used to have this play piano that was shaped like a dinosaur. And I'd take like my parents old, like headphones, like 1970s headphones that, you know, you could like plug into a, an amplifier for a record player or something like that. And just like put those on and like sit in front of the piano and pretend I was a DJ. 
So that's kind of like my earliest memory. Most of that involved like being into the oldie station that they listened to, um, which is all like Supremes and Sam and Dave and stuff like that. And in bringing that up, I think it's funny because when I was listening to that in like the late eighties, um, those songs were only like, you know, 20 or so years old, if that, and one of the biggest trips for me lately has been thinking about the fact that like what I considered ancient then, uh, the, the equivalent for my kids is like, you know, Nirvana or Soundgarden or something like that, or maybe even a little bit, a little bit after that, because I feel like when did that Nirvana album come out? It's like, you know, got to be close to 25 years. I don't know. It's interesting that you talk about it in terms of like marking the, like the generations. And I mean, I feel like we probably all do that to a certain extent, but it's interesting that, um, that you mentioned that the, the Supremes and like all that, all that, um, you know, the, the classic stuff, was there a particular group that sort of resonated for you or was it just everything music? Cause you said like you were pretending you were a DJ. What was it about like wanting, wanting, do you remember like why, why that was the case that you wanted to like be a DJ even as a kid? I don't, I'm not really sure. I mean, it's always been the case that like I've had, you know, favorite songs on the radio and whether it was like, you know, staying up and like listening to like two hours of radio just to like finally have, you know, Don McLean's American Pie come on because I was really into it at the time. Or like, you know, later on, like listening to the radio and trying to record, you know, a song to tape when it came on so I could listen to it over and over again. I think maybe part of it, and this is just me surmising, I hadn't really thought deeply about this, um, but like looking back on it, I think it had to do with like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, uh, you know, I was in charge of that and I could just put American Pie on repeat and listen to it all I wanted. And like one of one of the like, you know, superpowers, you know, that I wish I had would be to be really into a song and somehow have the power to make everybody in the world hear it at the same time, which is really presumptuous that like, you know, of course, yes, everybody should listen to this. And everybody will love it. But of course, that wouldn't be the case. So, well, so that's an interesting, like, you know, that brings up what brought you to sort of where you are, um, you know, as a when you talk about uh, publicity, music uh, publicity, um, when did you decide that you did want to be involved in music? Because I think as kids, right, we might have a vision of, like you said, you'd be a DJ or make everyone hear the same song at the same time, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, Oh, I'm going to do that when I grow up. I'm going to be involved in that. At what point did you kind of realize or decide that like, no, I really do professionally when I get older, I want to work with music. That probably didn't happen until college. Um, it's not anything that I really had to, you know, thought about, but I also don't think that like it was necessarily presented to me in many ways as like a potential career. I didn't know anybody as as like a kid in grade school or high school that was involved in music professionally. Um, and I just really wasn't thinking long term as far as, you know, what a career would be. And I'm not sure if that's just because like my parents weren't really like big on pushing to figure that out or, or what the story was. Um, but I was always really into music to a, you know, semi-fanatic extent and uh, like in high school, that really was focused on the Smashing Pumpkins, you know, and it just involved like doing silly stuff, like typing out the lyrics to all the songs or copying and pasting them and like putting them alphabetically in a binder or uh, being really involved in their the message board community around that band to the point where I was an administrator on like one of the two biggest message boards. Wow. And I got involved in like a group that planned like a tribute concert to them, like a year after they'd broken up. And then uh, I guess towards the end of high school, I like made a website, like a fan website for a local Chicago band called Kill Hannah. And was really into to them and their scene, um, the kind of like, you know, new glam rock scene that was in Chicago at the time. And I was kind of doing, you know, anything I could to promote them and get people to listen to their music. Not really uh, thinking about like, oh, I want to have a career in this someday. 
just more so going back to that like original impulse to, you know, want to share something that I thought was awesome that I wish more people were paying attention to. And then when I got to college, I had like no inkling of like what I wanted to do. I just knew that I wasn't really into education at that point. I wanted to stay in Chicago because I was part of this scene around this band and I wanted to kind of stay within the Chicago music scene, you know, more so as a fan than anything else and like the people I'd met there. Uh, But I went to University of Wisconsin, ended up uh, just taking, you know, English courses. They don't have a music business program there, but one of the RAs or like the head RA at the dorm I was at, he was very much about helping all the, you know, people that he was working with. I have to look up what he's doing now because he was super driven. Um, and like, you know, kind of one of the, kind of one of those people where you're just like, Oh, like <laughs> they like, they like have such a plan and they have it all together. And like, what are they doing? That's, you know, um, he, he probably seemed boring to me at the time, but, um, now I look back and I'm like, Oh no, it was really cool. He connected me with the music committee at the student union which is basically the committee that booked all the bands that would play um, the university and, uh, you know, had me go to those meetings. And that's where I found my people because I was, you know, a kid coming into freshman year in the middle of Wisconsin with like, you know, blue hair and nail polish and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, I started, I started booking bands with them. And then eventually they had a a magazine that was like printed quarterly per, you know, per the school year. So, um, four times a year during the school year. And, uh, I started writing with that and then eventually, you know, applied for and became the editor of that magazine. And that's how I got connected to, uh, publicity because I was being pitched by a bunch of people, including big hassle media, which I ended up going to intern for when I moved to New York. Eventually I decided I didn't want to be a critic. I'd, I'd prefer to be promoting the music so I, I switched to the other side of the fence, but it was very, it's very much a, as you can tell by my long-winded answer, a meandering path to a career in music, but I wasn't going to be in academia and I really had no clear desire to like go into any other kind of profession. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like inevitably, like e- even if when you were younger that you didn't necessarily know you wanted to get into music. You mentioned that you wanted your superpower to be everyone could hear, hear the same song at the same time, or, you know, wanting to be a DJ or music just being this constant that was always sort of there. But it's interesting talking to you. I talked to, like I said, I talked to Caroline last week. I talked to Andy from polyvinyl and his music is always there. Whether or not you're like, Oh, it's going to be my career it naturally just kind of becomes that. And it's certainly something you have to be passionate about because especially for publicists, I know how fun it can be to send out all those emails and have all all those responses. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) In in some ways, I feel like you found your superpower. Not that, that, uh, you know, publicists can get everyone to listen to the same song at the same time, but, you know, that, that, that ability to get a a band out there, it kind of seems like that's the avenue that you ended up sort of falling into at least. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, it ties into what I was, what I was doing, you know, originally when I first like beyond just listening to music, um, you know, spread the word about kill Hannah in Chicago. Like that's where the, that's, that's where like the joy and I guess like rush of, you know, adrenaline, or endorphins was for me in like, you know, finding something, discovering it and being able to tell, uh, or try being able to be part of trying to tell, you know, the world about it. And that, that, that was kind of why I was attracted to the editorial side of things, you know, being able to like, you know, provide a platform in any sense to a band and kind of expose them to more people, you know, whether or not it's, you know, through writing about it, you know, directly or through kind of in the background trying to influence the people who are doing that and making those decisions or or at least if not influence expose them to it and let them make their own decisions um you know to hopefully want to tell more people about it what was it about uh, you mentioned smashing pumpkins it sounds like was really your first like 
band you were kind of obsessed with and then you mentioned kill hannah and that like from a local sense like really getting involved what was it about kill hannah that made you go like just because it seems like that was a really strong connection that you had in starting that journey of like a community really getting you know music out there wanting to talk about it what was it about that that uh about kill hannah specifically um i'm not sure i mean i think they were probably like smashing pumpkins adjacent in some ways. Like there was crossover between those two fan communities. I'm sure that I heard about them for the first time, or maybe, I don't know, maybe they want, maybe they like won some like, you know, Q101 or they like had their song played on Q101 or something. And I thought like, Oh, this is, this is cool. I'll, I'll look into this more. I'll, I'll say this too, like, you know, in high school, at least until the very end, my 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 view or my perspective on music was very very uh narrow um i didn't have an older sibling or anybody else to be like oh hey check out these sonic youth records or like did you hear this dinosaur junior or this it was all like oh here's what i'm being spoon-fed by alternative rock radio <laughs> which is fine it you know it was it was great but you know, that was, that was kind of a, I think, I think to me, like it was the first band that I really got into that didn't have, you know, kind of like a like they were unsigned. Um, they didn't have like a national profile. Um, but they were, you know, very much a Chicago band. And I think, I think that was interesting to me. Um, I like this music, you know, uh, if you've heard, if you've heard much of them, like anything they've made, um, well, I don't know if they're still together. Um, but their first songs were like way less, you know, gunning for radio play. Um, a lot more interesting to me. I kind of lost interest to them after they, I think they, I think before they signed to a major label, but they started like writing songs that they like, were like, okay, let's get this on the radio. <laughs> let's, let's have that be our ticket, which I don't blame them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think it, for me too, like just at that time in high school, like I was kind of like, well, where do I fit in? I'm not like a jock. I'm not, um, you know, like super, super smart. I'm kind of, uh, angsty, you know, in an extreme sense, you know, which I always look back on and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Like one of the things that I think is funny, even though like, I feel like I feel, I fit in this, like this, like middle ground between millennial and, and, Gen X, if you were, I didn't like have a cell phone until I got to college and it was still like, you know, uh, a brick, um, that wasn't smart. Um, and there was no Facebook, you know, until like the end of my college career. But at the same time, it's not like I, you know, was old enough to, you know, go to Lollapalooza when it was still a touring, you know, festival or anything like that. <clears throat> Sorry, this is a, this is like a weird side tangent that I've just like recently picked on up on. But like to me, it's just so funny, like the difference between like Gen X and Millennial, where like Gen X was like, oh, like we just want to be slackers and we're mad at our parents because they just want to like want us to like get good grades so we can have a good job that has great health care. And I feel like, you know, the generation after is just like, hell yeah, I wish I could have gotten, you know, like get a good job with great health care. Like like that's what i want it's like it's like a weird thing like looking back on the 90s and being like oh people were so like mad about like the fact that they were like being asked to like go to college you know <laughs> and like you know try to like achieve something it's just really funny but anyways uh i was very much in that mindset and uh kill hannah you know in in keeping with smashing pumpkins was all about just like kind of exiling yourself from you know mainstream normal society to a degree and you know dyeing your hair and wearing vinyl pants and stuff and that really um that really on like a personal level resonated with me and where i kind of felt i fed in f you know or fit into like my high school ecosystem which was it was, a, it was a large school. So it wasn't like there were like clicks and stuff and nobody cared about the football team because they sucked. But still it was like hard to like, you know, stand out to a certain degree. And especially if you weren't, you know, into certain things, like 
find out who you wanted to really hang out with. And that was kind of me putting my flag up being like, I want to find out, I want to find all the other kids who are, you know, feeling the same way I'm feeling. So. I think that's one thing, like listening to you sort of talk about your, your journey and thinking about, you know, uh, for as long as I followed you on Twitter, like very observational. I'm like, there's like, I feel like you're always sort of thinking about not things in sort of that you mentioned about maybe when you were younger, you had a very narrow vision of music, but it seems like for as long as I've been connected to you or known you, like really thinking about like things in, in a very broad, broad way and, and really talk about a lot of different things. Um, and I'm curious, like how that's informed, um, you know, whether it's you know, the community aspect you're talking about with Kilhanna or at school, but how that sort of influences your, your, uh, your path into, uh, publicity. Cause I know you mentioned big hassle, which is where I first got connected with you and now you own your own PR firm. How did you, how did you make that transition or what was the journey to that point? Because, you know, I was joking earlier about, I feel like you just keep adding stuff to your plate and, um, I feel like the last thing you want to do when you have like a, a big family and then I know you, you know, the clip, your, your agency has been around for how many years now? It's five years, five years. So what, what, what was the journey to get to that point? Because I mean, not too many people want to just go ahead and start their own agency. I feel like. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, one of the, one of the things, well, I guess I can start, start at the beginning. Like big hassle was, was a great place to learn. Um, Ken and Jim are, um, you know, amazing. And, uh, you know, that company's what, you know, had a, has a great reputation and was really tied into, um, a lot of cool things that were happening in New York and nationally, um, in the music scene. They're, they're, um, both, you know, uh, really, really friendly people and they don't, uh, fall into like any kind of like devil wears Prada type of, uh, you know, at atmosphere or interactions with people. Like I know some like high powered PR, uh, can have a reputation of just being cutthroat and, you know, nasty, <laughs> sure, yeah. um, for the most part, I feel like, you know, PR that's involved in, you know, indie rock is, is, is pretty tame and, you know, nice and understanding, but they, you know, I feel like, I feel like that was a good way to meet a lot of people in New York, um, and be in, be associated with a company that had a good reputation as just, you know, people you wanted to know and be involved with. So, you know, Tito, Caroline, and I, um, met a lot of people that way and, and were introduced to a lot of different, you know, managers and labels. Um, and that was invaluable, but you know, any small company, unless they have grand designs of, you know, totally taking over the world, which I don't doubt that like, you know, Ken and Ken and Jim, like, you know, want to work towards, you know, always improving and, and potentially growing what they're doing. I feel like, and I could be wrong because I don't want to speak for them necessarily, but it's, you know, they, what they're doing works for them and they can maybe have like a, you know, semblance of a good work-life balance to a certain degree but, uh, you know, it's, it's not really built to like, you know, expand in a way that like, okay, you can work yourself up the ladder and eventually end up at a place where, you know, it's like, a you're getting to a point as an employee necessarily, that's going to like, you know, give you continued room to grow. Like eventually we reached a point where like, well, we're not going to go any further or achieve anything more for ourselves. And that's why we started uh, clarion call. We didn't actually plan to do it together, but I think we were both kind of moving in the direction of leaving and figuring out what we were going to do next, whether we we're going to go try to work in some other, you know, um, at some other company or do something totally different. And uh, I just had a, our first kid um, at that point, I think he was like a year and a half old. Um, and I was like, well, I don't know what I want to do, but we both had connections and clients that we knew would come with us. So we decided to start something together. And, uh, what I was originally getting to is like, <clears throat> I don't want to take too much credit for making like too much of a leap because one of the nice things is, is we don't have any brick and mortar operation. So it wasn't like a heavy lift. 
to go out and start our own thing. Like we just had to be competent with QuickBooks to a degree and know how to build a website on Squarespace. But that's kind of what pushed us towards that is we, you know, we'd both been there or doing something for nearly around a decade. Um, and uh, we kind of, kind of just didn't see our path towards being able to move any further along um, if we were to stay. So. Well, and, and I, I, you know, you look at the artists, some of the artists and, and organizations that you guys have worked with, Bonnaroo, um, Not a Surf, Gaslight Anthem, uh, Manic Street Preachers, Against Me. I, by the way, I, I didn't hang that up for this. This, this is always here. This oh, is nice. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously, like, quite a, quite a roster of, of artists and organizations that you've worked with. Um, what, what is sort of the ethos of, of Clarion Call? Um, you know, I know you're talking about sort of growth and, and having sort of new opportunities and, and taking things in a different direction. But what would you say is sort of the ethos between, um, I know that you and Tito started it. I know Tito's in New York. You're in Tennessee, I believe. Yeah, Nashville. Yeah, and then, and then and I know Caroline's in, uh, out in California. What would you say is sort of the ethos of, of, of Clarion Call as a, as a brand, if you will? Not, not that you necessarily maybe think about it that way, but in essence, I feel like it is, right? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of, some of those that you mentioned were, were uh, big hassle clients, and that is definitely a change in that, you know, we still don't, I feel like, have the firepower connections to say, you know, I used to work with Robert Plant, um, you know, when I was working with Ken, um, and I used to work with uh, Kings of Leon and Jose Gonzalez and, and you know, um, bands like that. So um, one of the things I think we knew was going to happen is, you know, it's not like we're going to be in that echelon, but at the same time, you know, this is going to like, instead of me spending an hour every single day uh, trying to like, you know, figure out like guest list for a band that's playing sheds, um, if you will, like, you know, 9,000 seat tiny arenas or whatever, figuring out how to like, you know, FedEx tickets to people and stuff like that. And then try to like work like a smaller indie band on the side of that, you know, we could, we could focus on working with artists you know, that we were interested in make just as much or more for ourselves because, because of the way, you know, kind of pay worked and uh, maybe even have a little bit extra time left over in the day. So I think, uh, I think, you know, when we first started, it was kind of just like, I don't know if we were, I don't know if we necessarily knew this was going to be a byproduct when we were doing it because we were kind of just, you know, like I said, we were both headed for the exit and didn't really have a plan. And we're kind of like, well, let's see if this works. Um, but it was kind of a revelation in the first year. Or so I'd be like, oh, wow, like I have a lot of extra, you know, room on my plate now that I didn't realize was just being taken up by like all the, you know, accounts or projects that were being handed to me. And I can have extra time to work with this artist, you know, that I really enjoy, but might've had to pass on because they weren't going to be able to, you know, pay, you know, enough to like be able to like, you know, make that make sense for the time that I would have to put in um, at this other company. Um, so I think for us, it's, we're still just invested in, you know, finding, finding music that we really like and, uh, you know, trying to get word out there about them. Um, and that's, that's been nice. You know, when you work for a bigger firm, you're kind of helping people out on projects, um, kind of as like a day to day, uh, you definitely end up working with some bands and artists that, you know, even if you can appreciate what they've done and accomplished and the music they're making and like understand why they have a fan base, it's not what you go home and put on, on, you know, a Friday night or Saturday afternoon it's just been nice to be able to, you know, more so have that, have that, uh, leeway and choice to decide our own path. Um, so, I mean, I think that's, that's where we are, but, you know, working, trying, just trying to work with artists and projects we think are cool, um, and boost them. And then of course, like, you know, try to find a way to, work with any, any band or artist that's already established that we really enjoy. 
but I think similar to the way Ken and, Ken and Jim are doing things at Big Hassle, uh, we're kind of in a place where, you know, we don't have, we don't have grand ambitions to take over the world either. We kind of just enjoy having a job that, you know, is fulfilling. Um, and that, you know, allows us to be able to, you know, pay rent and pay for daycare. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Cause I, you know, not to sort of romanticize it, but in some ways I feel like you've, you've reached a point, you know, with clarion call that you're, in in some respects, like from a business uh, point of view, a, a DJ in, in in a way, like you get to put on and put out work working with artists, like you said, that you actually you think are cool, that you're you're passionate about, that you want to work with, and it's interesting that like you have the the, the opportunity to um, you know whether they're established or not, uh, get that get that you know that album out or that that news out. And Claire, uh, Caroline mentioned that the way she was talking about it, it, you know, really telling the story of an album, like when it's time to come out, that it's, that you really get to be like a storyteller in many ways, because you're helping this band get their, their art out there, which is, especially nowadays is the challenge in and of itself. Yeah, no, I mean, that's always the, I mean, that's what can keep the, keep things interesting is, you know, always trying to find a way to, um, approach, uh, you know, how you present, a certain band or artist to the world. And to a degree that can kind of sound like, um, like, Oh, you know, this is manufactured, (laughs) you know? And like, there's definitely part of that in there. Like you want to say like, okay, well this is, this is what's interesting and that might resonate with people. So let's like really focus on that. But I don't think we're ever in a situation where we're like making something up, um, about an artist or a band or an album. We're just trying to figure out what the most, what we see as the most interesting details of a story are. You, you bring up, uh, you know, what I also feel like is like the downside to our, uh, our, you know, segment of this profession. Um, I think particularly any, anybody that's involved in helping promote the arts in general um, and somebody's, you know, creative work is in this position more so than say like a publicist that's really trying to get attention for a new smartwatch or something like that is uh, one of the biggest struggles I have. And one of the things that's been like, uh, you know, the most uh, taxing on my own personal psyche uh, is the fact that you are the first line of, uh, I wouldn't say defense, um, but you're like, you're like, I guess you're delivering the message both ways, right? You're taking something that's very personal to the people that made it and, you know, trying to convey it in a way that's interesting, but also true to them, to these different uh, editors and writers. And uh, when, when it doesn't resonate for whatever reason, be it the zeitgeist or otherwise, you're also taking the message back to the person or people that hired you or, you know, or some, sometimes the artist directly, or it gets to them indirectly um, that the response to their, you know, their opus (laughs) was, was indifference, you know, um, at the worst and, you know, maybe, you know, negative um, at slightly better than that. Cause at least you can be like, they listened and they didn't like it. But I, I think it's interesting because you know, that that's all the more important, like that when you talk about like working with artists that you, that you like, that you really are passionate about, I think that makes all the difference is, is there's that level of, of, of care and concern that, you know, you, you are invested in what they're doing. It's not just like, well, I'm just here to serve a, a purpose um, you know, like it, it goes deeper than that and, and really creating that, that, uh, that community that you talked about with like, with the kill Hannah or the message boards, the smashing pumpkins, but like from a business perspective, like you sort of, like, like you said, you're the first line of defense for these artists. And so there has to be that level of like, I care about what you're doing. It's, it's, it's not just I'm your publicist or we're your, you know, publicity firm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's like, I couldn't do it if, if that wasn't the case and it makes it hard because like, you know, 
you, like there's there's nothing more disappointing than thinking you've like heard something that you're just sure that everybody will enjoy and then it just doesn't you know just doesn't um affect people in the same way that you were hopeful they would and <clears throat> beyond like being disappointed you know yourself you're like then like you know um sad that you have to like be the you know bearer of bad news to to the artist or the musician or what or what have you there's another thought that i had just crossed my mind um as you were talking but i can't remember it anymore um oh yeah no like i mean there's there's definitely like situations where um you know there's like a somehow like somebody has some kind of money to throw into their own like personal or their kids recording career. And, uh, you know, I've gotten pitches in the last few months, you know, just being like, Oh, like this such and such artist is going to put out this record. And would you be willing to work it? And like, you, like I listen to it and I'm just like, I don't like this at all. It's not good. And like, you could tell that, oh, they could probably pay like, you know, twice or three times as much, whatever, like, you know, DIY, um, you know, whatever that word means anymore. I feel like I'll I'll get people attacking me if I call something DIY, they consider not to be DIY, Uh, but basically not put out by a label and, you know, self-funded via like whatever um, money the, you know, the band members or the musician can save from, from their like part-time job or whatever. And like, you just, you have to, like, I have to turn it down. Cause I'm just like, I just can't do this. I mean, beyond the fact that like, it would, you know, ruin credibility with, with certain writers and um, editors I'm trying to pitch. Um, it just wouldn't feel right. So yeah, that's, that's hugely, hugely important. Um, and it just like, you know, you want to have, enth- you want to be able to have enthusiasm. It, it makes work easier. Um, even, even if you don't get any responses, it's a lot easier to make all that outreach, you know, when it's something you believe in versus something you kind of like half-heartedly, um, you know, feel like is worth promoting. So. Sure. It's, uh, it's interesting, like just in the conversations I have had with, you know, music folks that obviously there's a, I was reading this thing the other day and I can't, it was, maybe it was something that you retweeted or something that, um, an, an artist's album is a documented moment of time for them. And the fact that they put it out there and then someone decides if it's good or bad. And for them, it's not good or bad. It's, um, you know, for them, it should at least be, if it's honest, honest work, uh, a moment in time for them and documenting how they were feeling and the emotional roller coaster that you take one to make it, but two, like you were talking about, you put it out there and maybe someone comes back and says, ah, it's not good. And then you have to relay that news. What I'm finding is um, even for you and for Tito and for Caroline, that it's an emotional roller coaster. Cause like you said, like being that first line of defense, I never really realized uh, not just from uh, you're sending out these emails and you're hoping that someone replies, but also you almost take that journey with them in a sense, because it is, it's, it's taxing. And like you said, like you have to protect your own sort of mental psyche in this, in this position, uh, in many ways. Yeah. I mean, I had like one, one of the things that I've kind of like, I don't, I wouldn't call it a mantra. It's definitely not that there's some other word for it, but like, for me, like something I've, I've like repeated to people is that like, I, as a publicist, at least, you know, unfortunately I feel like I'm, I only feel as successful as like my, for lack of a better word, worst performing, you know, clients or project at any given time. And that's always been the case where like, you know, I can have one band that's like, Oh, this awesome thing just happened for them. And like, things are really taking off and you can tell they're excited because they didn't ever expect, you know, to do an NPR tiny desk or, you know, get this coverage on fader or um, wherever. And uh, you know, at the same time, you're looking at an inbox and like right below that confirmation is like maybe a manager of another band checking in and like the press report for them is just, you know, abysmal. And you're like, oh, okay, it's great for this other act. But, uh, you know, I, ha- I have like this, I still have like this sinking feeling in my chest because of what's happening for this other band. So that's been definitely something that I've had to, I've had to like work through 
Um, and I still don't think like I'm, you know, necessarily great at it. And I don't think you like, I don't, I would think it would be bad to be able to separate because then you really would just be like sociopathic with the job that you're doing and just be like, well, whatever, who cares about, about that? Like nobody likes that record. So what? Um, one thing that's helped a little bit though, just at least in not necessarily like, you know, like I'm not like lacking empathy for any of those situations that are kind of going South, um, so to speak, but like, uh, having, having kids really kind of like allowed me to compartmentalize like my time away from my inbox. And, uh, you know, when I'm actually involved and like in the thick of it and don't get me wrong, I'll still like think about it and be like, Oh man, I got to figure something out for this new single that's coming out in a week and a half. And I don't have anything locked in yet, you know, while I'm like making a lunch in the morning or something, but I've done a better job of that in like, just at least trying to like put it on, you know, the back burner and not have it front of mind um, all the time, even when I'm trying to um, enjoy my, myself and my time away from work, which is something I wish I did a way better job of when I was in my twenties and, and just failed at. So. Yeah. I was going to say, I was going to ask, and you kind of addressed it there, but just how, how you, you do manage to juggle it all, because I think this can be a very, very, uh, uh, it could be a real time suck for what you do. And then to have, you know, kids, you know, wife, pets, and, and it's interesting you talk about being able to, like the kids actually help you compartmentalize and, and, and putting up that wall between like work and like your own personal life and like your mental health as well. Yeah. Well, I, I'll say like one of the things that I feel like, you know, is, is just like un, an unfortunate fact in, in PR is that you can, you can do a certain amount of work and achieve a certain amount. And then up to a certain point after that, you can do the exact same amount of work and like achieve another 1% of success, you know, to me, like, um, I think like a lot of, I spent a lot of time like working evenings and weekends, um, all through my twenties. And I, I think a lot of that was just, you know, spinning the wheels on something that was, you know, the avenues had been pursued and, uh, you know, you weren't going to get much further or you're, or you're working, you know, after you'd already worked for 10 hours that day and like your brain is fried and you're not really accomplishing too much. And maybe you're not picking your battles well enough as far as like, you know, who you're trying to like approach covering, covering all your bases to a fault maybe. So having them having, having, you know, since, since, since the first kid was around, it was, it was just like, well, uh, they're home now and it's quitting time. And it's not like I can just like keep my computer open and like do some work here or there, or like, you know, get back to this at 8 PM or like spend a Sunday afternoon, you know, trying to figure things out and, and catch up on some stuff or, or not necessarily catch up, but like do extra legwork. So, I mean, it was, it was just kind of like, it, like it kind of forced the issue you know, that's where, like I said, I'm just like, how did I, like, what did I do with all this extra time that I had before this? Well, part of it was sleeping a lot more and uh, maybe watching a few more shows on TV or Netflix or something like that, or going out with friends. And then some of it too was just like, oh, like, I don't know. I used to, I used to like work until like eight thirty nine, sometimes 10, 11, 12 at night at big hassle. And like, to the point where like, I'd be taking, trying to take the train home and they were already on their like nighttime, like every 45 minutes, you know, service on certain lines. And, uh, I'm, you know, I look back at that and I'm just like, well, what was I doing? So that's just a long way of saying that like, there is time there. Um, but you just, you know, like in the past, I just wasn't using it well enough. And, and, you know, if I wanted to like, just up and pursue something else, I don't, I couldn't, I wouldn't have the time for that. Like I've thought about like, well, maybe I'll get like, like go back to school and get like some other kind of degree or certification or, or something like that, or like a continued program and in, in like, you know, PR or marketing or something that might help me in the future, but um, that wouldn't happen. I am definitely, I'm taking what I know and I'm doing it, you know, um, and, and just kind of like maybe waiting until all my children are old enough that, that they can be left alone for an hour or two at a time. 
looking back on, you know, when you talk about those late nights and everything, what are some of the projects that really stand out to you that you're really fond of that, you know, those late nights sort of paid off or. Hmm. That's the thing. Like, I don't know that they did. This is like all all respect to, uh, to my former bosses, but I wish, I wish there was a culture of like, you go home and you take your time. Don't be responding to emails at 11 PM. Obviously there's been like some fun, you know, fun moments like, okay, going to an SNL after party or two, or, you know, you know, having an all access pass to this given festival and like being able to walk anywhere and like go on the main stage whenever you want. Like that's all cool for a year. (laughs) And then after that, it's your job. And it's just like, okay, like, well, this is nice. Um, but like, you know, what am I sacrificing for this and is it worth it? Um, so when we, like at, at one point we'd hired, um, you know, a junior publicist here, here at Clarion Call. My, like the main thing I wanted to impress upon um, them is that like, you know, when, when you're done for the day, like don't worry about work and, you know, don't do anything on the weekends. Like, you know, that's your time create this, create this work-life balance for yourself. And I think that's a problem, you know, in jobs in general, um, maybe New York more, more so, especially looking back on that. I'm like, man, I wish I had, I wish I had, uh, you know, spent my, spent some of my twenties in a different way. Um, and recently I'd seen something that like, um, a blogger had written about, like, do you ever just feel like giving up on the, the thing that I'm not sure if they said, drives you or like the, the only thing you, you care about. And I'm not sure what they were talking about, but I, I, I tend to think that it was, you know, just music and being invested in, you know, writing about it and listening to it and being around other people who live and breathe it. And that's like the thing that they are totally, uh, totally, uh, you know, consumed by. And I, my like, response to that was like, don't do that. But also like, you know, try to find other things that you can, uh, invest yourself in so that like, you're not just reliant upon this one, you know, aspect of culture or scene to kind of like fulfill you because yeah, you'll get tired of it and it'll become rote for you. And then, you know, you'll get burned down on it. And I think that's, that happened to me. Um, and that's where I was like, you know, towards the end of my thirties, um, my wife and I moved to Hawaii, uh, after, after we got married and I did my job there for two years and it was, it was kind of a nice reset and we had a kid, but, but yeah, no, that's like, I I don't have anything. I look back and feel like that was worth it. I have like regrets to a degree that I didn't, you know, invest myself in other areas. Um, and I, I also think like, I I've talked about this a lot, but I think, you know, the music industry, and it's probably a lot of industries. It's just whatever you, whatever you're involved in, but like my own perspective, since it's limited to that, at least, you know, to a degree um, it's, it's interesting to me, like how like people involved in what you could call a music Twitter bubble or otherwise are just like, you know, have the blinders on as far as like how much everything that we get worked up about really matters to the vast majority of people outside of it. Like one thing I saw was like, oh, you know, TMZ was like, hey, remember Haley Williams uh, from Paramore? Yeah, yeah. And everybody's like, what do you mean remember Haley Williams? She had a feature in every single, you know, lifestyle mag, like for her last album. And it's like, yeah, we all read that. But like, you have to remember that, like, you know, the other 95% of at least the America in particular like probably you went into any random packed sports bar on a, on a given Sunday and like quiz the quiz, the attendees on who knew who Haley Williams was like, I'd be surprised if you got a 2% uh, response to, you know, in the positive, like, so yeah, I just, I just wish I, I don't have long way of saying, I wish I'd, I'd spent more time doing other things and being involved in like other scenes and, you know, other interests. But do you think that like the, the lesson there is cause what I, what it sounds like that you've learned through all of that, you know, even if you've, you mentioned that you have regrets more than things you look back fondly on that it seems like you've really found 
a way to focus on what's important, right? Like you said, like when you're time with your kids, that's where I'm at. When when I'm working on the music stuff, that's where I'm at. Whereas when you were younger, it seemed like it just all bled together. There was no, I can focus on this. It's just, my life is just consumed by this one thing, but it seems like uh, with that experience with age, you've learned to really focus on what's important. Like, you know, you're talking about Haley Williams, but it's like, yeah, in this little bubble that we have here, sure. Everyone's like, yo, this is, of course, everyone knows this. It's like, yes, but what's really important in the long run. And I think that's some of the stuff that you've talked about on Twitter too. It's just like a lot of the stuff that you talk about, that's what's important. It's not like, did you see this one person broke a string and they smashed their guitar on stage at Bonnaroo? It's like, yeah, some people know about that, but it's like, that's not the larger conversation and what's really important right now. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I feel. I just, you know, I, I think, I think that's like important for anybody doing anything to take a step back and like, you know, it helped. I feel like it can help ground you too, because you, you can, you can like maybe feel like, Oh, like I'm being judged by my peers as to like what I've accomplished or how much I've done in some ways. I feel like it's, it's somewhat comforting to like, you know, step back and be like, Oh wait, like, okay. So maybe within this like tiny slice of people who are super connected to this one, you know, aspect of the economy, society, whatever, um, that's happening. Uh, but maybe it's comforting to know that like the vast majority of people could, you know, not give a damn, (laughs) Like, like they just don't care. You can go home to, you can go home to Thanksgiving dinner and tell somebody about what you did and they'll be like, Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, kind of wrapping up here. So I guess what was the moment that you realized, or, or maybe there hasn't, hasn't been a moment, but, you know, doing clarion call and sort of developing your own thing. What, what was, was there a moment where you realized like I am on the right path or have you even had, do you even feel that way? Is, are you still trying to figure it out? Cause I think there's like, there's two schools of thought in life, right? It's um, finding out who you are or creating who you want to be. But it seems like there's that constant Genesis for you of like, I'm still, I'm still learning as I go versus like, Oh, I'm for sure. This is, this is it. Or am I totally off there? No, definitely. I mean, I feel like, um, I feel like I'm, I'm still figuring things out for sure. And uh, for me, I guess, I guess one of the things that's changed too, and like, you know, that kind of like a, like approach. And I never really feel like I've been that, that forward thinking. Like I wasn't like a, you know, baby publicist being like, someday I want to be the publicist for, you know, um, an artist as big as Bruce Springsteen. And that's my goal. And I'm going to find out what levers I have to pull um, to get there. Uh, you know, a lot of it at, at the start was just being like, wow, this is cool. And like, oh, it's awesome. Like I get to tell people about this band and like, it's really cool. This is happening for this artist. And this is, this is neat to be involved in. Similarly, I don't feel, I don't have any like grand ambition other than to, you know, and now, especially with children, like try to find a way to just do something that's semi-fulfilling you know, for a ways of, you know, subsistence and like, you know, making, making money to like, be able to like live a, you know, an okay lifestyle and provide for them in a certain way. And if I can, you know, continue to do music PR, which I really enjoy on, on certain levels, um, then that's great. But, you know, if I decided I needed a change of pace and a green new deal passes and there's like an opportunity to go into windmill maintenance or something like that. Like I could see that being very cool too. It's, it's still evolving for me. Um, obviously it's an interesting time to be thinking about, you know, what the future holds in general, since so much of it is uncertain, but at least in the past five years or so, I think my, my main focus has been on like, what can I do to, to have to like do something for work that's, that's fulfilling and not, not too evil. (laughs) And, uh, you know, but like mostly like my goal is to like, you know, find a way to enjoy time away from that. And, you know, what, what pursuits can I like imagine following, you know, outside of music, um, even if they're just hobbies 
And that's like what I dream about, like not having a child that's two years old at some point. Um, <laughs> Cause maybe there'll be more time for that kind of stuff, but yeah. you know, and, and, and music PR and we we're at the end. So it's like uh, an, a layer of the onion to unpeel and maybe like 15 of them. Um, but music PR is in a very strange place right now, you know, especially for smaller artists, like, you know, as you've, as you've witnessed, there's like not a lot of avenues anymore and things are changing in that sense. So, um, that's, that's very much at the top of my mind as well. How long, how long is there, uh, there a market for people who, you know, have the skill set that, um, people like me have, um, and you know, what changes do we need to make in order to, you know, be able to provide some kind of, you know, you know, service as cold as that word sounds, um, to people who create art and musical art, at least. Yeah. So, I, you know, I kind of answered the question about, you know, this podcast being called in this direction, sort of where are you headed? It sounds like that's sort of a, there's a question mark there, but I'm curious, last question being, you know, I think there's a lot of lessons that you could, I could take away from sort of what you've talked about, but what would you, what would be just in general, not just for music PR, but what would be the one thing that you would say is sort of biggest lesson learned thus far that you would tell somebody and share with someone? I think, I think for anybody like, and I kind of touched on this already. Um, I think, I think like for me, like, and I, I feel like I see this, although I don't want to project upon anybody else, but I think for kids that are into music and like I said, live and breathe it, it can feel like the only thing that's out there, you know, and worth pursuing and worth doing. I, I think my advice for anybody would be to try to take a step back from that, you know, approach and worldview, you know, make friends outside of, you know, other people who are like completely obsessed with record store day, um, you know, go find a way to like, just, just expand your circle to people that aren't just like 24 seven trying to be on top of what's going on in that world. I mean, that, that's something that I just got sucked into to a degree. Um, you know, when I was living in New York, although I did have friends outside of that, but yeah, I think just, I think just keeping your avenues open and trying to not focus too much on one, you know, specific aspect of culture, life, or, you know, job pursuit is a good idea um, for sure one thing you said in the show that I, I think is really important is you know try to find other things that you can invest yourself in so you're not just reliant upon this one aspect of culture or scene to fulfill you because you'll get tired of it and it will become rote for you. You'll get burnt out on it. So, you know, really just making the most of moments uh, that you have in your life, because let's face it, our lives are really a collection of moments. Um, we don't remember everything, but we remember certain moments. So it's really uh, just so important to make the most of the moments uh, that we have in our life. So, as always, thank you all so much for hanging around, uh, listening. I really, truly appreciate it. Uh, it's been great to see the response, even just the listener counts on uh, each episode and uh, you know, folks tuning in from, from all over. So again, I, I really do appreciate it. It means a lot that you take any time out of your day to listen to this entire episode, a few minutes of this episode, any episode uh, really does mean a lot. If you want to boost the show, uh, leaving ratings, reviews on Apple Podcasts certainly helps elevate the show. You can also find the show on Instagram at In This Direction Podcast and on Twitter at In This Direction. Uh, you can also drop me a line at In This Direction Podcast at gmail.com. This has been In This Direction. I'm Quinn. Until next time, be rad, stay positive, much love. <laughs>